Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380. And streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today in the studio by Brian O'Connell from uh, New England Soccer News. Not not a very good week for the Revs this week, Brian. I mean, uh, last week they came away with the Super League title, uh, but the past eight days are really disappointing. Uh, the good feeling, the great feeling that you know came with the Revs winning that Super League title is uh, can can be a better way to get rid of it than what we've seen in this past eight days. No, absolutely not. I mean, just a, a horrible follow up to uh, to something you know that was it was it was a great accomplish, accomplishment for them to uh, you know beat beat the uh, Dynamo for this for Super League. And, you know, you, you kind of hope that they would ride that momentum going into, going back into MLS, you know, first team action. And then, you know, I, it, you know, they played a reasonably well game against Chicago up until, you know, Shalari Joseph getting red carded. And then it just seemed to just slide down from there. It was, uh, it was a very slippery slope. So, um, you know, and then after that, obviously they, they don't, they come away without any points from that game. And then they go on, you know, and play a U.S. Open Cup final in, in D.C. And then, you know, you hope for the best because you know whoever wins that game gets to face USL one competition. So I mean, I would think that any MLS coach would like salivate at a prospect like that. Um, and then you know we kind of see uh, you know not exactly the first team uh, first team starting eleven when, when we see that game. So it's unfortunate. And then obviously last night, uh, I can't e- I can't think of any other word than debacle. I, I mean, I don't think for for nothing was a fair reflection of what happened in that game. Mm. But I, I, at the same time. Uh, you expect more from this Revs team going against the last place San Jose team. San Jose, admittedly, has improved a lot since the Definitely. last time the Revs played them this season. Um, I, I guess I, I was shocked by how well Ronnie O'Brien played compared mm-hmm, to what we yeah. saw him last time. I mean, I know I, I was talking in that game uh, with somebody in the press box uh, who thought the way Ronnie O'Brien was playing, it looks like he might be time for him to retire. I mean, he <laughs> didn't he hadn't looked like he recovered well from that injury, but uh, that was, you know, very informed Ronnie O'Brien that we saw last night with those two goals and I believe an assist as well. Uh, he played extremely well. Um, San Jose's offense in general was playing really well, but at, at the same time, you expect this Revolution team to be able to, you know, come away with with at least a point going away uh, to a team like that, especially after they, you know, rested all these guys for the for the Open Cup match. I mean, they were out without Shari Joseph, without Michael Parkers, two key players, of course. But uh, at the same time, this team supposedly has more depth than ever before, so uh, you'd think they could come away with at least. At least a draw there. Yeah, it's just it, it was disheartening uh, all around. I mean, at the first half, it was just uh, you know uh, you know Brad and Greg commented that it was probably one of the one of the worst first halves they'd seen all season. I I have to agree because you know they just looked like they just looked like you know uh, you know a U11 squad out there you know against against uh, San Jose. It was just you know nobody nobody was you know was was uh, controlling possession. It was you know pretty much pass 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 and nobody was holding. So I mean you know I think that's obviously that's uh, that's a reflection of you know a team without Shari. Joseph, so um, you know, I mean, you have the mulligan on that aspect, but at the same time, 
I mean, you know, Castro was clearly frustrated. Uh, you know, Niasi just was not getting almost no chances, uh, first half. And just there was, you, you wondered what happened to the revolution attack during the first half. And then, you know, meanwhile, you know, San Jose gets an early goal in the 11th minute. Obviously, Ryan, Ronnie O'Brien, um, having a career night, I guess you could say, two goals, you know, uh, now he's got three, I think, on the season. So, um, you know, it was, it was disheartening. And then you thought they were going to, you know, figure it out. It looked like they were figuring it out as the second half, you know, um, you know, wore on near the, near the hour mark. And then the tensions collapsed after that. And unfortunately, it was just, uh, it was just an ugly scene thereafter. But, um, you know, you would, you would think that, you know, like you had said, that a rested team like the Revs, uh, granted, they don't have, they don't have Kelly Dubay. They, they don't have Kenny Mansali. So, I mean, you know they're going to be a little bit thin up for uh, up front, but um, but you know you'd think that Taylor Twyman coming in the second half would really spark the attack, and it looked like they were going to, but um, alas, uh, it was all San Jose last night. Uh, they they did get a bit unlucky in the second half there at the beginning. I mean, uh, Niasi should have done a lot better with that chance. Definitely, uh, he, he did a great job intercepting the uh, the poor back pass there. Mm. But uh, I mean, he, I th- I think he knew what he was getting into when he was going for that, but I don't know why he sh- chose to shoot it. I mean, Cannon was was far out of his you know net, cutting down the angle. All he needs to do is take a touch around him, and that was going to be an easy tap in. So that was unfortunate right there, because that was the game. They were still down just one nothing then. True. And then in the 70th minute, Steve Rossing gets taken out by James Riley in the box, uh, and there's a, there's still one not, one nothing there too. Uh, could have tied it up on a penalty there. I think that was a legitimate penalty call uh, there. That the Rebels were unfortunate to get. It might have been a little bit of a you know soft call, but at the same time, that's a foul. Um, so I'm lucky not to get that call there. Uh, and then right down the other end, San Jose goes back and scores with uh, the second goal of the match. And really, the Reds are chasing from that on. So a little bit of, of bad luck in this game as well. And, of course, Reese went down in the 55th minute um, with a right abductor strain, which I believe what th- is what they're calling it. And uh, good news there is that he does think he's going to be back on Wednesday. But then Doug Warren steps in. Always hard for a goalkeeper to step in in the middle of a game like that, too. Um, but I don't, I don't think he could have done too much on any of those goals. Made a couple of big saves beforehand, but uh, really n- not much he could have done there. So unfortunate how that game ended. Uh, you expect better from the Revs. Yeah, it's just you know it was it was disheartening and like you said it just uh, poor, poor Doug Warren. He's kind of thrown us to the wolves. I mean, you know at that point in the game you're right. They uh, you know the Revs still had a legitimate shot. They were only down you know zero one, and um, you know after that after that uh, after that goal you know that second San Jose goal it was just. You know they were still in it, but you know there's only so much Doug Warren can do when you know when uh, you know Ryan Ronnie O'Brien just cut coast right through and just scores that fourth goal. I mean at that point it was just it was embarrassing. So um, you know you just you, you're right. I mean I think I think the term that obviously one thing that didn't help was that they were unlucky. I mean those that non penalty call on Steve Ralston late um, obviously could have changed things. Uh, you know Niasi's you know quick you know kind of kind of panicked shot on Joe Cannon who was well off his line. Um, you know, obviously could have, could have, you know, slid the, uh, slid the momentum towards their way. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just unfortunate. Like you said, it, it's been a very, very frustrating week. I mean, that coupled with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, loss, the, um, the U.S. Open Cup loss to D.C. I mean, it was just, it's, it's been a very frustrating week. And then if you obviously tie in, uh, you know, the, the Chicago, the Chicago game, it's just, it's been a very frustrating eight days, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after Superliga. And, I mean, the Revs haven't lost two games in a row all season. Now they're on a midst of a three game losing streak if you, Yep. You know, count the Open Cup in there, so uh, really disappointing there. But uh, a couple of guys here that haven't put on their best performance. I think Wells Thompson was number one on that list. Mm. He's been a little under the weather. I know he's, uh, I believe he's had the flu mm. um, in these matches, uh, recovering from that. Uh, and the Open Cup game played right back. Obviously not his best position no. there. <laughs> An- another interesting choice by Nickel in that match, um, you know, playing guys out of position. Or uh, as you said, 
this is the semifinal of the Open Cup. $100,000 goes to the winner in the final, a spot in the Champions League. Uh, if anything, the Open Cup is more valuable this year than it was last year because of that spot in the Champions League. Um, and he opts to play him at right back. But then Wells obviously could have done better than to get a red card uh, with which which True. was with by what was by all accounts a stupid foul against uh, Jaime Moreno. And then and uh, this game um, comes right on and uh, within about 30 seconds, I believe, uh, he's the guy that keeps on uh, Ryan Johnson onside and allows him to get in free on goal and score that goal. So not a good week for Wells Thompson. No, and it's just it's it's disappointing to see. Obviously, not only for the fact that you know because of his performance, but because he did so well last year. I mean, last year I, th- I believe he played in 27 games. Uh, I think 21 of them were starts. So um, just to see him kind of you know he had a solid year last year, and you, know, you we were hoping kind of for big things for Wells this year. And I mean, you know, granted it's tough for him to kind of to slide back into uh, you know the right back position. Um, I know his reputation is that he kind of you know he he he's not you know shy about fouling you know especially in the midfield. Um, so it was kind of questionable it, to me, at least. It was questionable to see him at right back, um, but it was, you know, it's it's just really been a tough. I think it's been a tough season for Wells all around. I mean, you know, he's been hurt, and then obviously he's got the, you know, he he had the flu this past week, and um, you know, you it you can't. I, I hate to say it, but you know, sophomore jinx maybe. I don't know. I mean, I just can't, I can't think of anything well, else. And it seems like like saying Yasi, you know, beat him out for that right mid spot, but at the same time yeah. now. I think I think we can safely say that Niasi's had a bit of a drop in form yeah. this, this past week. I mean, he wasn't very effective against San Jose. I think he got maybe one good cross the mm-hmm. game, the entire game. I mean, he's always a threat with his speed, so it's hard to ever you know, take him off of the field. Um, I mean, even when he gets the ball, he draws two defenders. So you know that that obviously limits his play, hurts his play there, but uh, opens up other guys. But at the same mm-hmm. time, he hasn't really been taking advantage of some of these chances that he you know, had been in the past. So it's especially bad now that Wells Thompson. And, you know, isn't looking so great at, at this time either because, you know, th- there's a guy that could be pushing him for that right mid spot, uh, but I don't think that, you know, that competition is really working the way it had been at the start of the season mm-hmm. when, you know, the two of them were legitimately comp- competing for that spot. Yeah, and I think another thing that hurts Niasi is the fact that he doesn't get to where he, you know, I, I think with him, I think there's a, a kind of, a kind of, you know, uh, connection between him and um, and Sally, I think him and Minsali, when they're both on the field together, I think they they each make each other better. And I think you know, I think it's kind of you know, obviously you know, Mansali uh, doesn't make you know Niasi's crosses better. And I mean, there have been times where you just you just have to wonder, you know, what I mean, is he tired? Is he hurt? I mean, it's just is he wearing down? I mean, is it the is it the uh, grind of you know the Revolution schedule where they have all these you know tournaments in addition to MLS in, in addition to MLS regular season that uh, you know maybe it's taking its toll? I mean, obviously last year we saw. You know, a flash from him last year. When, you know, when he was playing, when he made his debut against uh, DC United, and you know, I, maybe maybe it's the time of the time of the year where you know guys are starting to break down a little bit. But I also don't think it helps that he's not playing with Mantalia. I think they have a they have a great connection where uh, it, it's almost the same kind of understanding that you know Pat Noonan and Tw- Pat and Taylor Twelman had in the past. So I mean. Um, and then also, I think I think Mansali, um, you know, obviously with Mansali out, and I also think that Niasi also worked well with uh, with Dubay, another guy who's also out. So yeah, and Dubay's out for uh, yeah. at least six weeks that's, now. That's from the what, report what we're yeah. hearing, and uh, nowhere yet on Mansali. I think he's mm. uh, his injury is not as serious as Dubay's, at least from uh, from what we heard, and he could mm. be back um, fairly soon. Uh, but Twelman is still not at 100 mm. percent clearly uh, in this match, uh, coming on as a sub. But you got to wonder too now if the refs have. Uh, Arjenas Fernandez, the guy that um, some reports say they paid two hundred thousand dollars for, so they're obviously expecting something out of him, uh, if not now in the future. But uh, they have him out on loan now, so uh, you got to wonder if they could. Rec- I mean, they they have the option to recall them. At least that's what what we've been told. 
you got to wonder if that, that's something that's on their mind now. Uh, with their forward situation, their forward depth really being tested right now with uh, both Mansali and Dubai out, and Twelman not at 100%. I don't think Chrisman's really at 100% mm. yet either. I mean, he rested to get that you know that injection in his toe, but I, I'm not sure that he's currently at 100% either. Mm. So really, I think that now may be a good time to recall him, uh, where maybe he wasn't seeing time earlier, where he might get the opportunity now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. At the same time, we're hearing that the Revs are going to be signing uh, Gabriel Bad. But Dia, not not a confirmed from the revs, not confirmed from the revs yet. But everything down in Costa Rica, uh, all the reports down there say that it's basically a done deal. Um, they even have quotes from him, you know, saying that you know, he's packing his bags and ready to go. So uh, I think it's just a matter of time before we hear that announced by the revs. And he is, of course, a national team player for Costa Rica. A, you know, a solid, solid uh, defender who I believe can play on the center um, and pretty much everywhere on the back line. So uh, someone that the revs could have used with Parker is gone. Shame they couldn't have completed this earlier. Um, and with Parker's possibly leaving at the end of the season, you know that's another another reason to bring him in. But uh, obviously that could be a big signing for them. And I'm not sure they're really their roster situation. If maybe they needed Fernandez to stay away on loan, and that could be a reason why they wouldn't be recalling him. Because um, I, I know the Revs do only have 27 players on the roster right now. You can have 28, uh, but of course 10 of those have to be developmental players. I'm pretty sure that the Revs have all 18 senior roster spots filled uh, with Fernandez. But with Fernandez out on loan. Uh, they're able to bring him in, so I think that probably is, po- is part of the reason that they're not bringing him in. Because if that's not a, not the, the case, then you have to wonder, you know, why not bring in Fernandez, give him a couple minutes, see what he can do while they really need forwards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it may just be a, a, a roster situation as far as who's who's occupying the senior uh, development, uh, the senior uh, international spots. It's just, you know, it's um, you know, I guess it's just the way the uh, the roster structure. You have to have those guys, you know, and once they're filled. You know, there's not much you can you can really do. Um, you know, at the same time, it's just I, I guess the worst thing about this whole situation where the revs are in right now is that it's timing. And I think that had the situation taken place, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but had the situation taken place, say two weeks ago, uh, you can't help but wonder if the revs could have had you know Pat Noonan back. You know, especially given given you know Taylor Tolman's health. I know Taylor Tolman isn't one hundred percent. I know. From what I've read, that uh, Chrisman won't be 100% at all this season. It's just it looks like something that it's going to be an injury that's just going to nag him for the rest of the year, and he's going to need, you know, uh, you know, months months time to uh, fully recover from it. And you know, God bless him. He's been going out there and just you know playing like a warrior, just trying to you know play get as much help as much as he can on the field. So um, you know, I, I I'm hoping that Badia is 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 a is a key signing. I think he will be, especially like you had said, given the fact that you know who knows where Parkhurst will end next will end up next year, and I think. Um, another important thing about Badia is the fact that he's he's another young guy who can kind of step up and maybe give the Revs you know four or five quality years and you know he's not towards the end, tail end of his career he's uh, he's a relatively young guy and like you said he has the uh, World Cup experience he has national team experience obviously and um, you know from what we've had, what we've uh, read you know he can play in the center or he can play you know on the on the right. And, uh, you know, who knows? He could perhaps even spell, you know, Jay Heaps. I mean, Jay Heaps isn't getting any, young, any younger. He's a great, great player. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but unfortunately, Jay Heaps can't play forever, so. Well, and they've also got Chris Tierney playing at left back on this four man yes. back line, which is not the ideal situation either. Yes. Also interesting to see that he's taken over for Igway, mm. who's been, you know, the, mm. the key guy on the left when they did play the four man back line. Mm. But that's kind of another story, but. Uh, you know, I'm a little surprised by that, to be honest, because, I mean, Igway looked good on the left. In the center, um, he didn't play so well, but uh, I think he's looked good on the left. Not that Tierney's looked bad either, mm. but uh, that's an interesting development there. Um, and, and one possibly one good thing that I've seen this week is uh, the development of Joe Germanese. 
I think that he's looked very good, and I think, you know, talking about Wells Thompson, that it's, it's not unrealistic to think that Germany's might pass him uh, in the depth chart fairly soon. I mean, he scored the goal in the Open Cup. Yeah. Uh, we were at the reserve game on Sunday where he scored a very nice goal, yeah. I think dribbled the ball from nearly midfield, then chipped it over the, the goalkeeper. Um, so, you know, that's that's one guy maybe to look towards as, you know, a guy in maybe the mold of, you know, Jeff Lerunowitz and how he developed through the reserves. Now, obviously not the same type of player, but, yeah. uh, you know, the same way where, you know, plays the years in the reserve. He's starting to look a lot better, I think. Uh, and that's a possibility down the road for the Revs. Uh, but overall, disappointing week. I think that Open Cup game, if the Revs could do it over again, knowing what happened, maybe they should have rested the guys against San Jose and played them against D.C. because, yeah. uh, you know, now they're down in the supporter field hunt. Columbus crew has moved ahead of them by a point. You know, that's one way to get a Champions League uh, spot. The other way, of course, is winning the MLS Cup and then winning the Open Cup mm. are three of the four ways there. Uh, the Open Cup seems like the easiest way. I mean, they beat D.C., <laughs> then they have to beat a USL1 team, but uh, obviously the Revs had other things on their mind. But I, I think if you look at at these last three games, how they played out. Uh, if you're, if you're, if Nickel was going to do it again, I'm, I would guess that he probably would have changed up a few things. Because, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the, way, the way those results went. And, and my other question here too is though, um, you see that Chicago game. Those players are obviously exhausted. Yeah. Uh, my my one question is why not bring in some subs earlier than I don't yeah. believe any subs were brought in until Joseph came out in the 77th minute. I mean this team does. You know, as we said, this team has some depth this year. Some guys yeah. that could have come on. Um, that was my one question about that game. As you know, they were playing well, but if the team was clearly tired. Why not bring on some fresh legs? You know, a little bit earlier than that Joseph Red card. Maybe you know, who knows what could have happened right. then too. Yeah, you're right, and and you're and we both heard Nickel say that you know that uh, that his that uh, his side was exhausted, especially after playing all those Super League games, and uh, you know you can't blame them. But you're right. I mean that that that's a that's a, a very interesting question. If that was indeed the case, you know why not bring on a guy like you know ha- you know after halftime? Why not bring in a couple of guys you know before the 60th minute? You know, it's uh, you know in hindsight, like you had said, I, I'm sure that if if Nickel could have done it over, he would have done things differently. But um, you know it's just unfortunate that. Uh, you know when when things got down and you know and 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 you know Joseph goes out with the red card. It's just it just seemed like Chicago just came alive and and whenever that happens, especially if you're exhausted and you're a man down, I mean it doesn't surprise me what happened with uh, with Chicago. I know there were some very very questionable calls. I knew that that Joseph call was very very questionable. I know it was his second yellow card. Um, and we had both talked about it, like you know that that a lot of these a lot of these refs kind of you know they I think they need to kind of take control of the game sometimes whenever there's whenever there's a foul and you know guys just pick up the ball and you know I mean the the, the it's almost as if you know the players police themselves in in a bad way almost so um, I think that was that had something to do with that where the where the ref has to make a clear indication of whose ball it is and I mean I don't want to get too much on a, a on a tangent about that but um but it's it's something that we had talked about that kind of like made became a crucial point during that game. So, um, obviously, it, it hurts to lose Joseph, obviously, for the rest of that game, and then obviously losing him for, I mean, you know, losing him for the San Jose game. Yeah, and I, I will say this going back to that Chicago game. Obviously, mm. we talked about this uh, last week on the show, uh, but didn't really get a chance to get into you know, some of the antics that we saw uh, on the field, you know, as regards to the refereeing and, mm. you know, what the players are doing. Uh, I know we talked about this up in the press box yeah. during the game. Uh, Blanco, we see, <laughs> I mean, he's the number one guy for this, but I mean, uh, I saw Taylor Twelman do it in this match as well. Uh, guys go down, they grab the ball. Exactly. Uh, you know, I I went on a bit of a rant about this last year, I believe, on the show, <laughs> but uh, it's something that I, the league hasn't done anything to address. Mm. Um, and Blanco's the number one, you know, the number one guy that I've seen for it. He does it at least five or six times a game, it seems like. So you know, here's a situation where you know maybe the guy took a dive, he grabs mm. the ball, 
you know, the ref has to call something now. Is he gonna is he gonna call a yellow card on the player who grabbed the ball? He should, but we don't ever see that happen. Yeah. And you know, I think that's something that the league should look into and maybe say, you know, regardless if it's a foul, if you if you grab the ball, that's gonna be a yellow card because there's gotta be something to discourage them. And uh, that was happening a ton by Chicago against the Revs. Finally, oh, yeah. towards the end, we saw Twelman oh, do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. But, I mean, if the ref's going to allow it, yeah. uh, you got to take advantage of it. I, I just think that something needs to be done about that. We are going to take a break here. Uh, then we're going to have Jim Dow from ResNet.com on, you know, hear his thoughts on that. I know he was in the stands uh, for these games and you know, hear, hear what he thought about you know, the different things. And as well as you know, maybe ask him a little about the Super League, too, going back to that, because we didn't get too much to talk about the atmosphere at that game last week. And that was you know, incredible, the atmosphere at the uh, Super League final. Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. The National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined by Brian O'Connell from New England Soccer News and Studio. Now over the phone, we're joined by Jim Dowd from uh, RevsNet.com. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing just, well, sort of fine. (laughs) (laughs) Generally fine, but uh, I I did uh, spend uh, the afternoon working. When I was working out, I watched the game again. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty interesting actually. Um, if you you may have even played Steve Nichols' quote, I don't know if it was recorded, but it, uh, I read it uh, somewhere that uh, he said that they'd actually played a good game. Uh, the wild thing is uh, that they didn't play that bad a game. Um, it looked it looked terrible when I uh, was watching it live, uh, but rewatching it, um, they they could easily have won the game. Yeah, they really turned things around in the second half, it seemed like, uh, after, what was it, another slow start. I think that's been a you know, problem throughout with the Revs throughout this year. Uh, they'd seemed to gotten gotten rid of that, but, uh, again, this was a team that they rested, you know, in the Open Cup. They didn't play most of these guys in the Open Cup, you know, to focus on the San Jose game, and then it, another slow start. So were you surprised at all to see that, the, you know, the Revs come out of the gates pretty, I mean, they, they had a chance going forward right at the beginning on that free kick, but other than that, uh, it was all Toronto in the opening minutes. 
yeah, all, all San Jose, yeah. I mean, San Jose, yeah. And, 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 yeah. and the thing that was interesting was, uh, you know, Ronnie O'Brien, uh, what, certainly two or three months ago, was basically left for dead. Uh, you know, he has, uh, in theory, no knees left, and, and he put on a, a clinic over on the on the far side, and on the near side, uh, Darren Huckerby, who is, uh, you know, obviously still able to, to, to play very, very well, uh, played a really, really good game. So suddenly the revolution uh, with inexperience and, uh, you know, both inexperience in terms of youth but also inexperience in terms of playing together are, are, are faced with two very, very wise heads on either side. And they just made, they just made mincemeat of the, of the back line in that first 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do, I do think that, that one thing that's, that's important to, to recognize is that the spine of the team was really not there. Uh, Taylor Twelman was literally not there until the second half, and he's still trying to figure out, you know, where and how he fits in with this, this, this new bunch of players. Shalry Joseph and Michael Parkhurst literally weren't there. Um, Steve Ralston, I think, uh, you know, got, got shunted aside a little bit last night, uh, although he's been, you know, playing very, very well lately. Uh, Reese got hurt and went out, although I don't think that really influenced the, the outcome of the game particularly. But, but really their spine was, uh, you know, clearly undermanned by at least 50%. And that's, and the spine is what gives this team their, their identity. You know, the, 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 the players on the outside, I'm not saying that they're peripheral in any way. But they essentially play roles, and the spine of that, that, that four or five players right down the middle uh, are the people who, who really force the game. Hey, Jim, it's Brian O'Connell. How are you doing? Hi, Brian. I'm good. doing good. I just wanted to it's funny that you mentioned the spine, and I think, um, I think the, the most telling thing about last night's game was the fact that I don't remember a game where I think the, the absence of Shalvey Joseph was so, was like so, as as obvious as it was last night, because I think if you know, like Sean was saying, you know, the first half they just they, I know traditionally the Revs just haven't been that great of a first half team, especially this year. Um, but I think it was just very very telling that they just they they to me they they looked like a bunch of you know uh, you know heads with a chick chickens with their heads cut off. I mean, they just looked very very disorganized. I mean. I think it just goes back to the fact that, like you had said, the spine is what really keeps you know the revs like kind of together and kind of you know moving forward. Um, you know, I mean, w- would you agree that you know Shalry Joseph was probably if if the if the club had Shalry on the on the pitch that it would have been a different result? Well, I think it would have certainly been a different kind of game because mm. because if you think about the way they they, they play the game, Shalry goes back and calls for the ball. Uh, the defenders uh, in the particularly in the four four two, the defenders give him the ball. He turns. Mm. And then he decides whether to hit a 50-yard ball, a 30-yard ball, a 20-yard ball, or, you know, make some kind of uh, holding uh, move. And really, he is the guy that sets the key for the offense. He may not be the guy who, who gives the, the, the final assist, and he certainly is not necessarily the guy who's going to score, although he has been doing it recently. But he is the guy who defines the offense. And when he's not there, I think I think there is a certain degree of, of headless, uh, headless chicken play, hmm. particularly... We've got to remember that two or three of the players that are being counted on are kids. And the season is now, what, we're into our fifth month? Uh, these guys have clearly hit the wall. You know, mm-hmm. Niasi's uh, got to learn some, a couple new tricks, and he's got to be mm-hmm. more accurate in his crosses. This is said with no disrespect to him. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be a wonderful player. But the young players aren't 
able to, to influence the game in the way that they were able to influence it, say, even as recently as, as two months ago. Um, it's interesting. You saw the guys against the Mexican teams. The Mexican teams had never seen these kids before, and so they had no book on them, or they didn't bother to get a book on them. The MLS teams now have a book on, on these guys, and you see, they're not—they're not as effective. They're shunted off into into less effective positions, etc. So the challenge is now for the coaching staff: How do you get these guys to? Uh, I hate this term, but to the next level. Do you think any of it too is that you know the Revs have been you know, so successful with the three-five-two, and then they switched to the four-four-two in the Superliga? Um, I mean, I mean, we'd seen them play four-four-two before, but now this for the Superliga was the first time that. We saw Steve Rolfe as a center mid in the, in the uh, 4-4-2 formation. Usually they've been playing with, you know, Joseph and Lorenowitz as uh, the two right. of the center mids. So more of a defensive, uh, more defensive there. And, you know, and with the 3-5-2, they have those two defensive mids out there, too, who are so well together. Do you think that's part, partly something that's affecting maybe yeah, the I team think, chemistry well, I, there? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is part, partly because I think they aren't, because of the Olympics and so forth, they don't have their, their best uh, four defenders out there. I think it, if, if, and this is a huge if, and I've been scouring the internet all day to see if there's any news, uh, if Badia, uh, if Badia signing is for real, um, then I think that's going to change a lot of things. Um, and, and the, the question will be then that they can put out four really good experienced pros across the back, and they can put out three really good experienced pros across the back. Ralston himself says that, that one of his great strengths is sort of drifting around uh, in the upper third of the field and looking for little spaces, little spaces to, to, to take the ball and sort of hold it and make quick plays, which is also what Castro does. And so I think when they have those two players able to play their game and forwards who can convert the, the goals from, from that kind of game, I think they're going to do really well. But right now they just don't have uh, the, the sort of level of player at every position um, that that they need to to make the uh, to make the game work. Yeah, you know, I, the question becomes though that this team, um, you know, with the three-five-two, uh, that it seems like they really have the players that that are capable that are built for that team. Uh, Badia, obviously, a good a good option should they should they bring him in. And I think that that uh, there's a lot of hints that 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 is going to happen. Whether you know. At this point, I mean, they talked about it on the broadcast. Uh, the the Revs official blog put up a thing about how the Revs announced signings, but I mean, I mean, the hints are all there. But yeah, but I mean, if if they do sign him, do you think that this team sticks with the four four two they've been playing recently, or do they go back to the three five two? And I, I, I don't know because I don't know enough about him, other than the fact that he's supposed to be really good. I don't know what what his what his strengths are, and you know what they would. Uh, whether he would be better off in a three-five-two or a four-four-two, I think I think the the real question is getting enough of a uh, uh, quality out of the younger players to match the spine, and that's going to be the big challenge in the next uh, in the next two months. I think remember that that even now this is a team in transition. Pat Noonan was with this team for four years. Uh, Andy Dorman was with this team for two years or two and a half years as a, as a significant part of the team. Uh, Avery John was with the team for a while. Those guys are gone. Uh, I know it's late in the season and everything, but it's still a team in transition when you bring young players in to take the place of experienced players. Jim. Experienced players, you know what you're going to get every day. Young players, you don't. 
Jim, and I was going to ask you, I mean, that's a great point you bring up as far as the transition goes, because you're right, this this really is a club that is going through transition. And I think one thing that Sean and I had talked about was the uh, fact that, you know, it seems like Taylor Twellman is kind of getting, you know, it's it's tougher, obviously, for him without Pat Noon in there. And it seems like he's not always on the same p- page, obviously, um, with guys like Niasi and Masali and uh, even Dubé. Um, where, where do you see, as far as... As far as what the club you think, what what you think the club will do with with Twelman, it just seems like because there is so much transition. At least to me, it seems like Twelman may be the next guy that kind of you know is is on his way out as these as the Revs continue to build these uh, these young forwards, this this young forward line. Well, I think there was an interesting moment in the game last night. I think it was in the uh, in the first half. Um, sorry, sorry, in the in the second half when when Twelman came in and um, there was a ball. That the Twelman in top shape, reading his fellow uh, player, would have would have pounced on and scored, and he was a step and a half behind mm. it, and the ball, you know, frittered away. I think part of it is just getting used to used to people and getting um, back into shape. I think you know, if you remember that twenty five minutes that he played with Kelly Dubé before he got hurt, uh, that was the best forward combination I think I've uh, uh, between two forwards I think I've ever seen on mm. the refs uh, you know so I kind of hold that as a possibility uh, going into the end of the season but now Dubé's out for what four to six mm. weeks so we don't know um, you know you could make an argument that uh, all things considered it might have been wise to take Pat Noonan back although I have no idea if he would have actually come back but but yeah, you're right. It may be that Twelman uh, has reached his sell-by date for uh, for playing with this particular team at this particular time. That would be a shame in a way because he's such such a good player. Yeah, it's interesting too. Um, obviously, the the it hurts that he's had all these injuries, and you know, as soon as he starts getting back into shape, it seems like he picks up another one, which uh, hasn't helped. And he's had the you know, we played a clip from him last last week about you know the off-field distractions that he's had as well. And especially with the, the things on the field changing, it doesn't make it easy for him to step up. But uh, as you mentioned, he played very well with Dubé. Uh, you know, in that, that time we saw him, I believe that was a Chivas game off the bench, too, where he scored yeah, that goal. May. Yeah, yeah and, and, and uh, Dubé came in. And then uh, against with Mansali up top in the uh, Open Cup and, and the uh, second round, or the, the second match the Revs had in there, uh, I thought he was combining very well with Mansali. I mean, the finishing wasn't always there, but they created a lot of chances for each other. So I, I think that he might have a spot in this team. It's just a question of can he ever get get his way back into fitness, and it doesn't help that you know the team is going through the stretch without having really any chances for uh, practices because they have a game you know like every every three days it seems like. Right, right, and that and it is true. I mean, there's an enormous there's an enormous amount that gets done in training, an enormous amount of, of uh, you know if you 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 go to training so you see it yourself. They, they, they work on all sorts of things. It's not just that they throw the balls out there and everybody runs around. And so I, I think that uh, you're right. If here, here they are in another transition. Problems coming back, and they need to they need to have uh, players work with each other and, and get the combinations down. And that may come. Um, you know, the, the scary thing, of course, is this: uh, three teams make it, and then it's the best records after that in each. In, in, you know, three teams make it in each division, and then it's the best records. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a free fall here, but I do think they're going to lose a couple more games. Uh, there's what seven league games? No, sorry, 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 ten league games to go. Yeah, uh, I think they're going. I think they're going to lose a few of those games, 
games that they were maybe winning by uh, luck as much as anything else. You know, balls just missing, Reese making a fabulous save, whatever. Uh, they're really going to have to go uh, absolutely to the wall now because the competition is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. And then, I mean, we've, we've seen the problems with forwards now. Uh, you know, doesn't seem like, I, I'm not sure when Mansali is going to be back. Uh, Twelman's right. still working his way into fitness. Chrisman is not 100% either after uh, the injury he had where he you know, had some time to recover, but I don't think he's fully recovered from that toe injury. Uh, so, right. you know, that's a problem there. But they are going to get Charlie Joseph back. Uh, and Michael Parker is back on Wednesday, so uh, at least at least on the d- defensively they're going to have some relief, and even offensively Joseph helps too, having him his presence oh, yeah, there too. Yeah, he helps tremendously. But but remember one thing that, that this team uh, I, I I don't have the statistics in front of me, so I can't I can't absolutely say it. But this team has won a lot of one nothing and two one games this year. You know, games that could go either way. Uh, I think when we started the year, we, we all knew this was a team in transition, and we were hoping that the team was going to, to, to do well. The fact is they may not win the Supporters' Shield. You know, They may not be the best team in the league uh, by uh, early October, but they certainly are a good team, and the question is going to be if they can maintain their quality and if they can get these kids to, to be able to, to bring to the table what's needed in terms of supporting the spine. Yeah, you know, it will be very interesting. But uh, you brought up a good point that they, you know, they may not get the supporter shield, but it seems like they put, you know, a, a lot into that by uh, really playing the reserve team in this Open Cup semifinal match. Uh, I, I was curious what your thoughts on that. We we discussed that a lot earlier, but uh, yeah. here's here's a Revs team that defending champions in the Open Cup. Uh, they make it into the semifinal, and they really, you know, f- play everyone they have that's available. That uh, you know, except for the starters. I mean, they're they're low on depth, so they had to play a couple of. You know, guys that maybe we even wouldn't have played otherwise. Uh, obviously, some bad luck in the forward situation where Twelman was going to be coming down there, and then you know he picked up another injury. But uh, defensively, they played Wells Thompson on that position. Were you? Uh, I, I can't say I'm surprised based on what we've seen the Revs do in past Open Cups, with the exception of last year. But uh, is it a little disappointing, or, or that you, that the Revs did I this? Think, I mean, especially with the Champions League spot on the line uh, this year. I think I think Steve Nichol is a. Uh, a, a nice version of Bill Parcells. I think he is an absolute realist. You know, Parcells once said, you are what you are. And I think Steve Nichol has looked at this, this, this team and looked at this schedule. And mind you, this, we've never had anything like this before in, in MLS, right? We've never had this many competitions going. And I think he's just made a very, very calculated decision. It's a gamble. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they should go... They should go deep into the playoffs. Uh, I think he feels they can go to the championship game. If they go to the championship game, remember, they qualify again. Yeah, that's, that's uh, true. And so uh, I think he's just, uh, he's just said, well, here's one, one tournament that, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're once a, one away from the championship game of that tournament, but, uh, you know, it's more valuable to, uh, to hold ourselves for the league and the Champions, uh, and the, and the champions Cup, uh, you know, this year's Champions Cup. Yeah. Uh, that may bite us. That may, you know, that none of this may work out. But that's what they play the games for. And and I think that, that we have to get used to the fact, uh, if we haven't already, that uh, this redheaded guy is an absolute realist. He looks at things and just makes a uh, not even so much a calculating decision, just a total assessment based on what he thinks uh, are are the realities of the situation. 
Yeah, it, w- it will be interesting to see how that plays out going forward because certainly if the Revs, you know, do burn out or pick up some more injuries, it's always a possibility and uh, somehow, you know, don't win a supporter shield, which is, you know, certainly possible, or then don't make it to the, you know, cup final and earn a spot that way that, you know, maybe we'll look back at this and, you know, think that's a mistake. But, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, he did have his reasoning behind it, you know, putting more effort into the league play and, you know, going forward. And his team obviously did need some rest from the busy schedule that they've had. Well, I think one 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 final thing in the, along those lines is there was an interesting discussion on uh, Fox Soccer Channel today with uh, the the guys who do the Sunday highlight show, and uh, they were talking about Arena going to the Galaxy and so forth. And uh, one guy, and I can't remember his name, but who's, who's quite a good uh, analyst, uh, just looked straight at the camera and said, as far as he was concerned, there are two coaches in the three coaches in this league: Frank Yallop, Steve Nickel, and Paul Mariner and they should be doing the Galaxy. And he was proposing Nickel go to the Galaxy as the manager and, uh, you know, European-style manager, and that uh, Mariner go as the coach. <laughs> well, I'm not sure Revs fans <laughs> would be too happy if that happened. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure they would, but I just think it's important to, to understand what people think of these guys. Yeah, I, I think you're. I, I, I think that's a, a very good point because um, I think Paul Mariner uh, – I'm surprised, honestly, that he hasn't had a chance as a coach in this league yet, and I think it's just a matter of time before he does. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, be it with the Galaxy, which um, I, I think he might have some reservations about going to, seeing how they've treated their past coaches. I mean, getting rid of uh, Siggy oh, Schmidt yeah, yeah. Uh, when he was in first place and now giving these coaches, I mean, all of, what, three or four months to turn the team around and then getting rid of them. But, uh, you know, that is a great point. The Revs do have two you know, highly respected coaches uh, that lucky to have. They're lucky to have, and 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 they 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 sometimes. Uh, there was a great interview with Alex Ferguson uh, this week, uh, where he said, "You know, the greatest the greatest resources that any football club has are the players and the supporters." He said, "But God help them if the players or supporters run the club. The manager runs the club, <laughs> and the manager makes decisions that people don't like." <laughs> you would think that they would subscribe to that kind of philosophy in LA, but apparently not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to make a little bit of sense, but I guess too much sense. Yeah, yeah. So it would be fun, it would be so funny to see Ferguson in LA, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you bring up LA and the changes there. Uh, there was a team, obviously, big disappointment last year, and you know, disappointing again this year. Um, the Western Conference in general, um, one team with a winning record, not. Are you surprised at all to see how that played out? I mean, Houston, again, the only team with the winning record this year. Uh, at, at, after, you know, they're, they're a fairly strong conference last year compared to how they played out this year. Yeah, I don't know because, you know, in, in this league it's, it's so hard to tell because one or two players moving or leaving or somebody getting older or uh, just hitting the wall can have such an influence because the, the, the squads are so small. Uh, you know, if you've got, if, if you're carrying, say, 15 or 16 players who are capable of playing uh, at this level, and two of them, uh, for whatever reason, either leave or, uh, you know, have problems, your season's really affected. So you look at uh, you look at teams like Colorado and so forth, who who, who appeared to be coming on uh, as as improving teams. Uh, a change of one or two players can really have a great effect. L.A., I mean, if you put all your eggs in the front half of the field, uh, my God, and then, and then you know, uh, you uh, aren't really, you're trying a new goalie and the whole kind of thing, you know, you're really in, you're really in trouble. Uh, 
uh, again, there's a really interesting argument for the kind of balanced uh, pragmatism that teams like uh, Houston and the Revs uh, uh, execute, you yeah. know, where they where they they spread it around somewhat. There are one or two or three maybe super well played uh, well paid players, but nobody's sort of breaking the breaking the uh, the bank. That's a great point, Jim, because I was reading an article. I think it was by Steve Davis on ESPN uh, SoccerNet, mm-hmm. where he um, where he compared the situation in LA to compared to the two situations in in uh, like you had said, Houston and um, and New England, which are probably un- inarguably the uh, the model franchises within within the league. And um, and one thing he made a great point about is the fact that both uh, organizations had the foresight to stick with both Nickel and and um, Dominic Kinnear, even though their first seasons were losing seasons. And you would right. think that that kind of the kind of patience that you know an organization isn't going to just dispose of a coach after you know a, a mediocre or, or poor season, but rather they're going to say, okay, we're going to stick to your philosophy, we're going to give you time to give you to implement that philosophy, and if it doesn't work out, then you know we'll 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 come back to it in in two years or three years. And it's just right. I, I, it's the exact opposite of what's going on in L.A. You know, it, it, God forbid. I mean, a lot of people question you know the uh, the intelligence of hiring Rude Goulet and. You know, it, it would like like Sean had said. I mean, they fire Siggy Schmidt. You know, when it, while he's in first place, you just have to wonder what's going on. You know, with LA. I mean, I understand that it's it's a completely different market for them in in terms of soccer. And you know, I I you kind of have to get the mulligan on that. But I think you made a great point where you say, you know, look at Houston, look at. Uh, you know, New England, and I think you know, like uh, it's just interesting that you mentioned that because Steve Steve Davis made made pretty much that that point as well um, in his article on ESPN Soccer Net. Yeah, I think that I, I think that um, ultimately, when you know the, the big the big thing that we're looking at in the next in the next year is the is the renegotiation of the collective bargaining agreement, mm. and that's going to have a huge influence on the direction that this league takes because if and if uh, the salary cap say goes up to say three million or four million, uh, and they keep the DP. Uh, the composition of some of these teams is going to change a lot. And if ownership is given more sort of wiggle room in terms of making decisions, then teams like Los Angeles and uh, New York are going to have more influence. You know, they spend a lot of money, but those, those teams don't have necessarily have that much influence in terms of on the playing field. Um, but that could really change if, if, if the uh, purse strings are opened. So uh, that, I think, is going to be a very, very interesting thing to watch. Yeah, it's, it certainly will be, and uh, very interesting, too, after the controversy from the Super League of Prize money to see how, you know, yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be an easy negotiation period no, between these. <laughs> well, I interviewed, Jay, I interviewed Jay Heaps about it, and I watched his eyes while we were talking, and I would not like to be across the table from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and mentioning your interview with Jay Heaps, I know uh, you were there for the Super League of Final uh, in the Fort, and you know talking about the the atmosphere for that game. Not the biggest crowd, I, just a little under ten thousand, but uh, at least to me, it, that seemed like the best atmosphere I'd seen at a Revs game uh, all season, if not uh, since Gillette Stadium opened. Yeah, I think uh, there was a game uh, against Chicago. I think it was a, a semi uh, Eastern Eastern Conference Final. Of- Two or three years ago, against Chicago, that was equally, and that was a bigger crowd. That was about a, a eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand crowd. I think there's a big difference when people are there because they want to go and watch soccer, as opposed to people who come for the event or you know because it's a night out with the kids or whatever. 
Uh, you can just tell it, to, to, this is going to be a, sound like a terrible remark, but you can just tell it from the level of the voices. Uh, you know, you hear more bass voices uh, at these games, like like the Super League or Final, where there are people who just are there because they're soccer fans and they they want the Revs to win and they etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, there is many casual. To be honest, for all the hype, there is many casual fans who go to Red Sox games and Patriots games and all that kind of stuff. You know, half of the crowd and Celtics games is there on expense accounts. <laughs> so it's not limited. It's not limited to the Revolution by any chance. But w- but I think when you get a stadium, even if there are only ten thousand people in that stadium, of people who really want to be there, the atmosphere completely changes. And that's to me what you know maybe having a stadium in Somerville would be like. Yeah, it certainly. It was very very exciting to see that type of crowd. It seemed like just about everyone was into it throughout the entire game. Uh, and you know, uh, there is talk about a stadium for the Revs, and we'll see you know what develops with that. Not a lot of not a lot of concrete you know information on that. No but con- no concrete board. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we do got to get to our, our next our final commercial break. Before we do, uh, do you have any plans coming up? Uh, obviously, your column on RevsNet, uh, you know, great read every every time you come out with it. Do you have any plans coming up for your next one? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm going to Argentina on Tuesday for ten days, wow. and I'm gonna try to write something uh, before I go, and then or send it send it on when I when when I go. But I'm gonna try to get down to training on Tuesday and 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 ask them about how are they gonna deal with this uh, this hitting the wall sort of collective hitting the wall of of, of the kids. Uh, you know, I think that really is the challenge because I think again to go back to this fine, I think those guys are gonna be fine. You know, assuming Twelman is, is is able to play himself back into shape, and assuming Reese's injury wasn't bad, which he says it isn't, uh, you know, those guys will be fine. The question is, how are the peripheral guys going to be? And one person I think we should mention and, and, and pay some respect to is Mauricio Castro. He gets a lot of flack from some of the fans, but I tell you, that guy is a real player. And uh, he, uh, look at how many of the goals that the Reds have scored. Admittedly, not that many goals overall. But how many of the Revs' goals have been from service from Mauricio Castro? If not the final pass, the, the lead-up pass. He's doing his job very, very well. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. He, uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves in a lot of these matches. Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, keep up the great work with RevsNet. Look forward to reading uh, your next column. Oh, and pleasure, John. Yeah, and ha- have a great trip down to Argentina. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks Jim. Care, Thank you. We are, we are going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back to uh, wrap up the show. National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. Looking for soccer in New England? 
It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue joined by Brian O'Connell in the studio from uh, New England Soccer News. Uh, we do have uh, just a couple of minutes left here, but I do want to talk a bit about the Revs' upcoming schedule, which uh, doesn't get any easier going forward here. Um, on Wednesday, a uh, home game against DC United. Um, you know, at, at, at this point of the season, there is a must-win. I'd say this game was a must-win. DC is building a lot of momentum, you know, moving up in the standings. And the Revs, the Revs, meanwhile, uh, you, you know, after the three-game losing streak, really need a confidence booster. And you know, lost to DC last week on Wednesday, and they're gonna. You know, potential to do that again, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens here. Obviously, Joseph and and Parker's going to be back, so a lot stronger lineup the Revs will be playing than on Tuesday. But uh, I, I think this is a big, important game for the Revs moving forward to get a victory in this one. I agree, and I think uh, not in addition to DC United, I think every Eastern Conference rival game is going to be a big game, especially with uh, points at a premium. You know, this late, I mean, it's so tight in the Eastern Conference right now. I mean, right, and the top four teams could—they all have a legitimate shot to making to, to getting that top spot. Um, so yeah, I think, like you said, Sean, you know, it'll be nice to have uh, Shari and uh, and Parky, and and hopefully Reese will be back as well. Um, so I, th- I think it'll be a, it's a very very big game. I agree. I mean, before the Super League, we were looking at the Revs. They're about seven points up in the standings yeah. without any team. Uh, now, from uh, fifth place, New York. Now, after we beat uh, Toronto today, two to nothing. Now they have 28 points here. So the the top five teams in MLS uh, between t- 34 and 28 points, five points separate the Revs from New York. Uh, so any team here could catch up. So Revs really need to be at the top of their game these next coming weeks. Uh, and then after Wednesday, they go on and have another game away at Toronto. Never an easy place to play. Mm. And then they leave directly from Toronto to Trinidad to play Joe Public FC in the Champions League preliminary round on Tuesday. So, if anything, the schedule is getting harder. Yeah, at the most inopportune time, of course, uh, as the uh, MLS regular season wears down. So, uh, obviously, all critical games. And I couldn't fault uh, I couldn't fault Nickel if he uh, if he sends out uh, if he sends out you know a second team squad with these Champions League game. It'll it'll be interesting to see. But um, well. The thing is, they should be able to beat this Joe Public yeah. FC with a, you know, not their best team, but that that would be a quite the risk to take because there's a lot on the line in this Champions League. You win this tournament, not an easy thing to do at all. Getting past Joe Public shouldn't be too hard, but you know, you never know. Going to Trinidad is not going to be easy. No. Uh, you want to play your veterans in that game at least. Maybe if they get a big lead there, they can rest them in the home leg. Uh, but you win this tournament, you go on the World Club Championship, uh, ten million dollar prize at the end of that one, I believe play some of the best teams in the world, get some national respect. Don't want to miss out on that. Uh, again, we're going to be back next week right here on WNRI AM 1380. Uh, and you can check out revolutionrecap.com for the archives and make sure to check out blog.revolutionrecap.com and send us questions and comments to revolutionrecap at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This is WNRI 1380 AM, Winsocket, Rhode Island.